Just a warning, this episode contains strong language. Previously on The Making of a Swindler. Simon would drill himself into your heart. Make you feel like you're special. And then he stabs you and leaves you. It's not only the stupid money part. The mental abuse, what he did to us, I think that's the worst. He had two forged Israeli passports, three forged Israeli driving licenses, two forged Israeli flight permits, and five forged American Express credit cards. I remember vividly sitting next to him in court saying, if you care about me, you need to tell the truth. With you or without you, you choose him. You want war? You will get fucking war. You will get fucking war. I'm Bernadette Higgins. And I'm Felicity Morris. And this is The Making of a Swindler. So where did it all begin for Simon Levive? How did he become a con man? In this episode, we're going to explore his life before Simon, before Mordecai Tapiro, when he was still known by his birth name, Shimon Hayat, the son of a rabbi who grew up in a small city outside Tel Aviv. We knew we'd need someone with local knowledge, so we enlisted the help of Israeli journalist Amit Yozari. In late uh, 2019, I was approached by the German magazine Der Spiegel and their uh, reporter asked me if I can follow the story of the Tinder crook, Simon Levive. An article about Simon had by now been published in the Norwegian publication VG. Simon had been arrested in Greece for using a false passport and there were rumours he would be extradited to Israel. So from that moment, since he landed in Israel, I started to uh, follow and cover this story together with uh, a few European, Germans and uh, Norwegians and media outlets. We started to uh, dig into his personal life, where he came from, what's his family situation like, what kind of education. They took a trip to B'nai Brak, known for its strictly orthodox Jewish community, and visited the neighbourhood where Simon was born and grew up. This neighbourhood, Ramat el-Khanan, is really one of the most poor neighbourhoods all across Israel. There are many synagogues, and it's a very simple life, surrounded of Torah and biblical studies, and uh, religion is pretty much everywhere in the environment. And this is where Shimon was born, grew up, studied in a yeshiva, which is like a religious school. Amit explored Simon's childhood landmarks, including the block of flats he grew up in. There's this smaller apartment in this very modest building, very old one, and his parents still live there. Simon's father was a deeply respected pillar of the community. For 15 years, he was the chief rabbi of Israel's national airline, El Al, an extremely prestigious position. 
We have photos of Simon's father, Yohanan Chayut, with the chief rabbis of Israel. So we can imagine that it was important for his uh, father that Simon would be like this kind of a prodigy in Torah to be studying from early dawn to the very late night without almost not sleeping at all. The remarkable uh, yeshiva boy that will develop his uh, religious skills and knowledge and lifestyle. But Simon had other ideas. As a teenager, I think that Simon started trying to see what kind of alternative future he can uh, create himself. And he developed this uh, nice taste for fashion and for appearance. And I think that he loved uh, going out in Tel Aviv in trashy nightclubs and uh, beach resorts, things that weren't really available for him at an early age. And of course, Simon wasn't alone among his generation in wanting to keep up with the modern world. The ultra-Orthodox, they started to be more open to the world. They started to fall in love, as everybody, with technology. And they go on social media. And it brings a lot of dilemmas into their lifestyle. And for Simon, that meant choosing to leave his old life behind. In the age of 16 or 17, he decided to leave the yeshiva, to leave uh, the ultra-Orthodox lifestyle. We tried to speak to some uh, people who grew up with him in the area. And uh, one of them told us that even when he was a teenager, he really loved putting on the suit and the tie. It was really important for him to look good. It's really interesting hearing Amit describe where and how Simon grew up and kind of imagining the lifestyle of Haredi Jews growing up in this strictly orthodox mm. neighbourhood where traditionally there's a, I think, maybe not so much now, but maybe when Simon was growing up, a rejection of, you know, modern lifestyle, perhaps no TV, not having necessarily access to the internet. And then here we have Simon who now very much is just totally opposite to that, you know, has embraced sort of all the bells and whistles of modern life. It's really interesting as well when you think about it in context of what the psychologist Kerry said when she was talking about, you know, the making of a con man and why they want to be seen as super successful and flashy and wealthy. And like you say, he grew up in this super modest community where people tend to dress the same. And here he bursts onto the scene as Simon Levi as like the ultimate peacock, the most ostentatious guy you could ever dream or dread meeting. That often happens though, doesn't it, with people who have grown up with a sort of a, a modest lifestyle. They'll then go on to live their adult life mm. very differently to their childhood. But clearly this wasn't the lifestyle that Simon ended up choosing. So whatever his beliefs, ambitions or intentions, what we do know is that when he was 20, he moved to Cyprus for six months or so. And that's when he first met Courtney and worked for the Dead Sea Company. They were friends and workmates for about six months when he returned to Israel. And when he eventually came back to Cyprus, that's when he involved her in his credit card fraud against the hire car company. So what happened back in Israel? Well, 
it turns out that that was a really significant stage in Simon's criminal development. When Simon returned to Israel from Cyprus, he picked up odd jobs, initially babysitting for family members and then for wealthy clients, who he also did the occasional handyman work for. But things didn't work out quite as they should. I spoke to Hani Gillardy, a police investigator with the Tel Aviv Anti-Fraud Unit. She's been on Simon's tail for years. The first time I have met him was 2011, when I investigated him. He used to work as a babysitter for a family here in Israel, near Tel Aviv. During the time that he stayed in their house alone, he stole some checks. And he used the checks to buy a car and to pay a debt that he had. The mother of the child he was babysitting went to the police station to report the theft, not knowing that it was Simon who had stolen the checks. Meanwhile, Simon was at her home looking after her child. But not for long. As soon as Simon heard she was at the police station, he quickly disappeared. He left the kid in the house without any supervision. Here in the Tel Aviv anti-fraud unit, we did an investigation. We checked with the people who got the checks and we have collected the evidence that it was him. And therefore he was investigated about this crime. Later on, the case was moved on to the prosecutor to file charges. But Simon was getting greedy. He uh, stole some checks out of a different house. He used the checks for his own benefit. He also bought a car. And not just any car. Simon bought a Porsche. Suddenly, a young man who worked as a babysitter and a housekeeper was flashing the cash big time. He wanted to get a flying license. And he used uh, one of the checks in order to pay an Israeli company who gives aviation lessons that he took. We are basically going after the, the path of the money. The police evidence was enough to prosecute Simon, and he was issued with a court summons. They pressed the charges. He didn't show up. And basically, from what we know, he left Israel with forged passport. And it would be five years before he was officially traced by authorities back in Israel. Five years in which he was charged with international credit card fraud in Cyprus and sent to prison for aggravated fraud in Finland. At 2017, he was deported back here to Israel and he was brought into our unit for investigation because we wanted to investigate him about the fact that he used the forged passport to escape Israel. He was arrested for a period of time and then the court set a bail in order for him to be released in the sum of 100,000 shekels. That's about $32,000. And he paid the money and then he was released on condition that Simon show up to court to face charges. In the end of 2017, there was a court hearings that he didn't show up to, so the prosecution understood that he probably um, escaped again from Israel. And did you know how he had left the country? Uh, no, we didn't know which uh, documentation he used. It was nearly two years later, in July of 2019, when Hanny crossed paths with Simon again. 
Thanks to Interpol and Eileen from our film, Simon was finally caught in Greece. He was arrested in the airport with a forged um, passport and he was very quickly extradited to Israel. The judge decided to keep him arrested until his trial. Finally, Israeli justice had caught up with Simon. He was sentenced to 15 months in prison. But in May 2020, at the height of the COVID pandemic, Simon was released. He'd served less than six months. I mean, it's just classic slippery Simon, isn't it? It takes seven years for him to actually finally be caught and then he just gets released. And the arrest, of course, we follow it in the film. There's that great footage of him in handcuffs. And it was amazing for the women, for Eileen especially, you know, who had helped bring Mm. about the arrest because of her tipping off the police. So without her, I wonder what would have happened. I mean, it's really interesting as well, learning about his earlier crimes, because it kind of shows the trajectory of his criminal career. The crimes he was committing back in 2011, 2012, they were so brazen. There was just no sophistication to them at all. I mean, how did he think he was going to get away with driving around a Porsche when everyone knew he was a babysitter? There was no thought. Talk about bringing attention to yourself. He wanted a Porsche. How am I going to get a Porsche? I'm going to take advantage of this family that's trusting me with their child. Mm. And just leaving the kid. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting to see what he's learned along the way, you know, from that kind of straightforward theft where basically you're always going to get caught to later learning that you can get a lot more if you manipulate people and kind of keep your own hands as clean as possible. Mm. Like his hands were all over everything he did back in the early 2010s Mm. but obviously by the time we meet him he's very much the puppeteer Mm, the master manipulator Mm. he's he's very very good at that as we know and obviously we know that he's used it on romantic interests he's used it on friends but turns out they're definitely not the only ones when we were researching simon's background we came across a bizarre story in the Israeli media. A journalist called Shimon Ifagan reported a series of articles in the online publication Mako magazine about Simon and his father. One headline from March 2019 read, The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit of Sting. We tracked down the main source of the story. My name is Rabbi Maimon Badush. I'm from Israel originally. I live in Brooklyn, New York. Part of Rabbi Badush's job description is to handle the portfolio of a large charity foundation in New York. Rabbis from all over the world, especially from Israel, come to us with uh, different requests, charity requests, uh, whether it's for institutions or for private causes. And according to Rabbi Badush, in 2012, this included Simon's father. One day, Rabbi Yohanan Hayut, known as the Rabbi of El Al, Israel Airlines, shows up at my office telling me a story about his uh, mother's illness and about his brother's large family and he's in America to raise money to help them out. It's a very routine, a very normal thing to do. When someone comes to his office asking for donations, 
Rabbi Badish usually checks them out. He finds out who they are, what they're asking for, and whether they have a legitimate need for funding. But he says he didn't feel the need to do that with Rabbi Hayat. Someone like Rabbi Hayat with a high profile, you just uh, assume right away that he's telling the truth. So I accepted him with uh, grace and warmth and gave him a check, a nice check. And so began a friendship between the two rabbis. Rabbi Badish introduced Rabbi Hayat to his community in New York. And whenever Rabbi Badish went to Israel, Rabbi Hayat would greet him off the plane. And give me the VIP treatment. Take me from the gate through some side door, a much faster route to the passport control. Made me feel really, really good. Made me feel important. Rabbi Badish claims that every so often, Rabbi Hayat would ask for more donations to support his ailing mother and large extended family. I looked at him as a friend, as a real good friend. You know, I help him here, he helps me there. One day in June 2017, Rabbi Hayat apparently came to him again, saying that he was still struggling, but had come up with a plan. He says, uh, listen, Rabbi Badush, I have a, a, a very wealthy family in Europe, they have, they have roots in Israel, who are trying to help me out of my situation completely, you know, pay all my debts. However, in order for them to give me the kind of money that they want, they need the money to go through a tax-deductible organization. In return for the charity agreeing to let the funds go through its books, the family would make a generous donation. Everybody wins. It wasn't the first time people asked me to do that. The only thing strange about it was the amount. Up to that point, the most people asked was maybe $10,000, $15,000 the most. But he came asking me for half a million. That was the first time someone asked me that. But I said, why not? According to Rabbi Badish, the next day Rabbi Hyatt arrived at his office. And he brought with him a bunch of checks, just blank checks with a signature on them from a company based in Warsaw, Poland, something called Tapiro Group. Does that name ring a bell? One of the names Simon had used as an alias is Mordecai Tapiro. Now his father was allegedly presenting blank checks issued by a company with the same name. We filled in different amounts, 50,000, 40,000, adding up to about half a million dollars. And in return, I gave him checks from my organizations, correlating and corresponding to those checks. So let's just pause here and recap on Rabbi Badish's story. Rabbi Hyatt apparently brought in a series of checks from a Polish bank with the name Tapiro Group on them. In exchange, Rabbi Badish gave him the same number of checks with the same corresponding amounts signed by his charity. The idea was that once the Tapiro Group checks cleared, Rabbi Hayat could use the charity's checks to pay his debts. Badish agreed, but he made one condition very clear. I told him, do not cash any of the checks that I gave you until all the checks that you gave me clear first. Because I don't have that kind of money in the account. Sure, Rabbi, no, of course, I would never do that. Okay. He went his way, I went to the bank to deposit his checks. A few days later, Rabbi Badish went to Israel for his nephew's bar mitzvah. Whilst on his trip, he says that he got a call from his bank manager. 
Apparently, someone was trying to cash a cheque of $50,000 against his charity's account. And she asks me, should I clear the cheque? And I said, absolutely not. Because those cheques that I gave him didn't clear yet. And I said, put a freeze on the account. So that way, God forbid, if any other cheques that he gave will come in, will not be able to cash. Immediately, Rabbi Badish called Simon's father, clearly frustrated. I said, none of the checks that I gave you will be able to clear until I unfreeze the accounts. And he said, oh, why'd you do that? You can't do this to me. Trust me. Are you kidding me? The family that I'm giving you the checks from is the Leviov family. The Levi family. Simon would tell the women that we've spoken to that he's Lev Levive's son. Mm-hmm. He'd call himself the Prince of Diamonds. Lev Levive is known as the King of Diamonds. He's essentially one of the wealthiest men in Israel. The company that he has, LLD Diamonds, is about as big as De Beers. And this was back in 2017, before he met any of the women in our film. Mm-hmm. Before but we've ever heard of him actually referring to himself as Levive. He had legally changed his name to Simon Levive mm-hmm. at this point. But we need to make it absolutely clear here that Simon is not related to the Levi family. And they've actually spoken out publicly, asking that Simon stop saying that he is. But here we have Simon's father claiming that the Levi family were the wealthy family he'd been referring to. Obviously, we only have Rabbi Badish's assurance that that is what Rabbi Hayat said. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly an interesting coincidence, isn't it? Mm. But also it's important to make clear that the Levi family name wasn't on these checks. Rabbi Hayat had at this point given Rabbi Badush the blank checks, but the name that was on those checks was the Tapiro group. Mm. So now we've got two names that we're familiar with, Levi and Tapiro. And at this point, those checks still haven't cleared through Badush's account. And Rabbi Badush claims that he was being pressured by Rabbi Hayat to unfreeze the account. So he said, you know what? I'm going to do a wire transfer. Will that satisfy you? I said, yes, that would satisfy me. So he sends me a uh, screenshot of a computer screen showing a transfer from some bank in Luxembourg to our account in New York. I checked on my account and it's not there. So yeah, it's there, it's for sure there. It's almost Sabbath, we'll talk Sunday. But Sunday arrived and still no money had come through. Rabbi Badish again called Rabbi Hayat. He recorded the call. We're playing part of it here. Hello, hello. The English translation is voiced by actors. Yes, hello. Hello. Yes, Rabbi, how are you? Uh, did you talk to the bank? They will return the checks, huh? all of them. They will not honor them. Why? Because there's no money. What do you mean, why? You said you were supposed to transfer $350,000 last week on Wednesday. It's Friday already. Are you sure nothing arrived? 100%. Nothing arrived. Meanwhile, all those checks you deposited, they're all returning unhonored. So I'm going to cancel all the rest of the checks until there will be a payment that will cover them. Do you understand? So I told Rabbi Hayyut, listen, until I see actual money in the account, the account will be frozen. Why can't you wait until it will arrive? 
You yourself said it takes seven days. No, it takes five days. And I'm asking you, how does a transfer of 350,000 not pass in five days? How can you explain something like that? Let me explain it to you. The transfer has been done. But you said it yourself, it can take longer, as we had all these things in and days in between. So sometimes it takes, sometimes, look, they always say up to seven business days. For sure, but I don't want to come out of this with the damage, God forbid. That is all. Rabbi, listen for a second. Nobody will come out with the damage of one shekel. A few days later... Rabbi Hyatt apparently asked if he could visit Rabbi Badish to clear the air between them. I had an apartment in Jerusalem. He said, I'm coming to you with a representative of that family, Levayov. He's from that family and he will tell you how long my relationship with them goes back. To put your mind at ease that the money will be there. Please let me introduce you to this guy. We want to come to you. Rabbi Badish apparently said, of course. No problem. Come over. They drove a sports car, either a Maserati or a Lamborghini, some expensive car. They came to the house. And he recorded the meeting again. We're playing part of it here with actors reading the English translations. Shalom, honorable rabbi. How are you? Rabbi Hyatt speaks first. This is the Jew that represents the company. Here's Rabbi Badish. I'm sorry there are only two chairs here. That's nothing, nothing. Sit, sit. And who was Rabbi Hyatt's companion? The representative of the respected Levi family? Yes, you've guessed it. Okay, any someone Levi, I'm Simon Levive, considered well-known in the state of Israel and such. Shmuel is part of your family? I live abroad, yes. He's a family member. Me and my dad are cousins. Shmuel Levive? Yes, Shmuel, I know him. And he started showing me videos of him on private jets. And he was so smooth. Simon and his father reassured Rabbi Badish that the bank in Poland was legitimate. Noble Bank is a private bank. Private banks are like uh, J.P. Morgan in the USA, which are banks like, you know, that deal with all the indexes. One need more than $2 million to open an account. It's the same bank. It's a private bank. It's a very prestigious bank. It was like an ocean of words, talking and talking. Accounts in Luxembourg and accounts in New York. This bank does that, this bank does this. These are basically the checks in that account. More than $10 million sit in that account, proper, everything is fine. We do it in such a way because, as you know, the rabbi can't uh, make bank transfers. Also, in checks, it would be easier to manage. I'm not a banker. It sounded like a guy who knows what he was talking about. Here's Simon again. But we need to find a solution, Honorable Rabbi. We must find a solution for it to be possible for you to move the million dollars because, as he says, he has his own problems. Like you said, you have your problems. As you say, you actually are a synagogue and need to send the checks to the USA. At the end of the day, 
You don't want him to have a problem, God forbid, and you don't want a problem for yourself. And I don't know, why are they insisting on asking me to unfreeze the account before the money is there? Just put the money there. Here's Rabbi Hyatt again. If I transfer money to Rabbi Badush now, at that very moment, the Israeli tax office would find out. Honorable Rabbi, everything is proper. I have the photos of the checks. I have the fractions. The checks themselves are absolutely fine. Our accountant made sure it's fine. There is no doubt it will be transferred. I have no doubt. I told them both, you know what, as soon as I go back to New York, I will freeze the account. I just told it to them because I wanted them to just uh, be off my back. I don't want any shame, any embarrassment for the Honorable Rabbi, because this man is very dear to me. Rabbi Badush apparently knew someone who worked for the Levive family at LLD Diamonds. And after the meeting, he got in touch with them. I sent the profile picture of this Simon Levive to my brother, whose wife works for the Levive family. And I asked him, can you find out who this guy is? Whose son is he? So he sent a picture to his wife and she sent it to her boss. And she asked him, is he from your family? Who is he? He said, I don't know, never met him, never saw him. That's when I realized that they're probably trying to con me out of money. Simon's father later claimed he had no idea the cheques would not be honoured. But it's unclear why he was presenting his own son as a member of the Levi family. I still couldn't believe that Rabbi Hayut is involved. I thought maybe this Simon Levi is victimising both of us. In one of my WhatsApp replies to Rabbi Hayud, I told him, this man is trying to con us out of money. Oh, he said, no, don't say that. He's a trustworthy man. He comes from a a well-respected family. At this point, Rabbi Badush was still unaware that the two were, in fact, father and son. Anyways, a few days pass, and then I receive all the checks that he gave me with a note attached, account does not exist. When I saw this, I said, that's it. I'm for sure being conned. Someone's trying to take my money. So I kept a freeze on the account and I sent a photo of those checks to Rabbi Hayut. I told him, listen, let's remain friends. I'll give you back your checks. You give me back my checks and let this whole debacle be behind us. He said, what are you talking about? The money is coming any day, tomorrow, the day after. Every day another story why the money is not coming. It's coming, it's coming. Please open the account, the money is coming. Hmm, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot to unpack. Hmm. Rabbi Hayat is claiming here that, you know, he thinks the money's coming. But what is odd about this is that he has introduced his son, as Simon Levive to Rabbi Badish. Yeah. I mean, I guess if we're looking at it purely based on facts, we do know that Simon did illegally change his name to Simon Levive. So 
if it happened, as Rabbi Badish says, and Rabbi Hayat introduced him as Simon Levive, that in and of itself isn't a lie. But he's introducing him as Simon Levive rather than, this is my son. Yeah. So what's going on? I think if we look back at when this was taking place, it's 2017. So we know that Simon has just been released from prison at this point. Mm-hmm. And he might be in a sticky situation financially. Perhaps his father's trying to help him out here, trying to do right by his son. And we do know that Simon is a very convincing liar when he decides Mm. that that's something he wants to do. So we have no idea what kind of backstory he might have given his dad. And we don't know whether that story was in fact similar to the story that he gave the women, which is that his life is in danger and he needed their help. You know, you can only imagine that if that was what Simon was saying to his father at the time, then his father would do sort of anything to protect him at this point. Well, either way, Rabbi Badish was definitely uncomfortable with whatever was transpiring. He wanted out of the arrangement. He apparently told Rabbi Hayut he wanted him to hand his American cheques from the charity to a trusted friend and lawyer in Israel, and they would all video call together as they ripped up all the cheques. But according to Rabbi Badish, Rabbi Hayut said he couldn't do that, because he'd already given some of them out. A few weeks later, I get a call from Bnei Brak. Uh, are you Rabbi Badush with Congregation Havat Shalom? I said, yes. This man owned a cash exchange business in Bnei Brak. He said, uh, your check of 100000 was returned and we want the money. I said, what are you talking about? Uh, he said, yeah, the check from uh, Rabbi Hayut. So I said, oh my God, why'd you give him cash for it? You should have called me first. Why, you just give cash to a guy who gives you a check? He said, well, it's Rabbi Hayut. He trusted him. The man from the money exchange was a B'nai Brak local, someone who had apparently known Rabbi Hayut and Simon, or Shimon, for many years. We don't know whether this man ever received any money back, but we do know he issued legal proceedings against Rabbi Hayut. I, I felt bad for him, but I, I, I wasn't going to pay him the 100000 obviously. But... In the course of that conversation, he reveals to me that Simon Levayev is actually the rabbi's son. This was a huge moment of realization for Rabbi Badish. He was flooded with emotion. Betrayal, betrayal, that's the word I would use. Defiled, used. While Rabbi Badush didn't actually lose any money, he was left very shaken by the experience. I was so shocked to my core. How could someone do that? I mean, a rabbi, money wasn't actually taken from me. Thank God that bank manager saved me. But it doesn't diminish in any way the severity of what they were doing, what they were trying to do. Rabbi Badish went to the press and a piece was published about the story in the Times of Israel, as well as various articles by Shimon Ifegan in Mako magazine. When asked to respond to the allegations made against him, Simon's father, Rabbi Hayat, issued a robust defence through his lawyer, Achikam Grady, which was published in Mako magazine in March 2019. Translated excerpts of it are read here by an actor. The statement begins. My client denies any and all complaints about fraud and or money laundering. 
As the statement continues, Simon is referred to as the son. The son asked my client to help him withdraw checks from his bank in Poland through his acquaintances. According to Rabbi Hyatt's story, Simon asked his father to exchange the checks for him, and Rabbi Hyatt went to some effort to establish that the account was legitimate. My client went to the bank in Poland and received confirmation from the bank that there are funds in this account. Rabbi Hyatt claims it was only later that he discovered the Polish cheques were not usable. As soon as my client learned that the son's cheques from Poland were being repaid and returned, as mentioned, my client took all the rest of the American cheques and returned them manually himself. The statement reiterated that Rabbi Badush never actually lost any money through this exchange. Neither Badush nor the association under his management were harmed by the above events and did not suffer any loss of pocket whatsoever. He also addressed the issue of why he introduced Simon as part of the Levi family. The son changed his name while living here in the country. It was known to all that this was my client's son. My client never cooperated with the son's false representations because he did not know about them at all. And in retrospect, after knowing about them, there was nothing he could do, as this concerns an adult son who is responsible for his own actions, which my client has no control over. At the end of his statement, Rabbi Hayat distanced himself from his son, the now-shamed Simon Levive. My client and his family are the biggest victims of the son. At his current age... My client and his wife took out a mortgage on their apartment in order to cover the son's debts and pledged to repay for 25 years in addition to the great shame the son inflicts on all their family members and their other children. My client has no responsibility in any of the sting acts of the son. My client regrets every person who was harmed by his son and is very ashamed of it in hopes that the son will return to Israel and be held accountable for all his actions. We invited Rabbi Hyatt to add to his statement for this podcast, but he declined. According to Rabbi Badish, he and Rabbi Hyatt did meet again. After the articles came out, I got a call from an investigator and she said, would you come down to the station to give a statement and to answer some questions? Hani Giladi is the police officer we heard from earlier, who has been investigating Simon since 2011. I gave her the recordings of the conversation that I had. I gave her some of the WhatsApp photos of the checks. Whatever evidence I had, I gave her. And then she told me, okay, so I'm going to talk to Rabbi Hayut, and then I'm going to call you to come in. When Hani called him back, Rabbi Hayut was apparently already at the station. And Rabbi Hayut at the time was saying, no, I, was, I would never do this. So she told me, what are you talking about? In the recording, you are introducing your own son as Simon Levio. So what are, you, what are you saying? I said, no, you can't really explain it. It's something that's unexplainable. So far, no police charges have been made as a result of Rabbi Badish's claims. I gave her everything I got, and the police will do their, their job going forward. I asked Hani Galadi about the claims Rabbi Badish had made against Rabbi Hyatt. Simon and his father, are they being in- investigated at the moment by the Israeli 
place. We cannot give uh, details about an ongoing investigation. So it is an ongoing investigation there, both into Simon and also his father. Now, as, as a rule, as a rule, we are not talking an ongoing investigation. We can only speak on cases that was in front of the court, not on something that we are doing here in the police. When Simon's father was questioned by the Tel Aviv police, Shimon Ifegan wrote another article in Mako magazine, published on the 29th of November, 2019, along with a response from Rabbi Hayat's lawyer. A translated extract of his statement is read here by an actor. My client, Rabbi Yochanan Chayut, has cooperated and will cooperate in every action with the police and the investigation procedures until his complete innocence is proven. Rabbi Chayut is happy that he has finally been given the opportunity and space to prove his claims and refute the plot against him. So there's two ways of looking at this. Either Rabbi Hayat is yet another of Simon's innocent victims, or the apple really didn't fall very far from the tree. Hmm. We've spent two years researching this story, trying to put pieces of the Simon puzzle together today. It's Wednesday, the 26th of January. Mm. We're obviously recording this final episode. The trailer for The Tinder Swindler has been released and we imagine that we might hear something from Simon, but we haven't had a peep from him. We haven't heard anything. An interesting person, though, who has come forward on his behalf advocating very strongly for him is the girlfriend that we talk about at the end of the film, the Israeli model. Uh, She gave an interview to the British press saying that they had split up, but they're still very good friends and that he'd been a dream boyfriend and partner and he'd spent about $2 million on her, including a £250,000 car, Mm. which is very generous. And you wonder where is this money coming from? What is Simon doing Today, because at the end of the film, when he wasn't getting any money from any of the women anymore, he was sleeping in hostels and eating leftovers in a shopping mall. And then he's got out of prison and right up until a few weeks ago, his Instagram was open. Mm. And on there is picture after picture of him driving Ferraris shopping, private jets, it would appear that he is exactly the man that Eileen, Cecilia and Penilla met a couple of years ago. Nothing's really changed. Yeah, so either he really has become a legitimate entrepreneur over the last couple of years, or maybe he's up to his old tricks. So how are we going to wrap this up then? What's the end of this story? Well, if there's one thing that we know about Simon, it's that he's the master of reinvention. So I doubt we've heard the last of him yet. The Making of a Swindler was brought to you by Raw and Netflix. It was hosted and produced by me, Felicity Morris. And me, Bernadette Higgins. Our series producer was Georgina Savage, the researcher was Lucy Barnes and the executive producer was Deborah Dudgeon. 
Junior production assistants were Rowan Lee Potter and Shemzia Zachiri, and the production executive was Nagina Ahmed. Raw's head of podcasts is Sarah Harris, and the head of US production is Kate Leonard Morgan. Sound design was by Emma Barnaby, and the original score was by Jessica Jones. The Making of a Swindler was recorded at the Sound Company in London. Thank you.